Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a weekly podcast about the Swift programming language and other projects at Swift.org. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Smart. Today we want to talk about a, an exciting new blog post just came out on Swift.org by Ben Cohen, Airspeed Swift, uh, that's um, announcing kind of the next phase for the roadmap for generics, which is including conditional conformances. Yeah, and so uh, as of this blog post, the Swift point or the Swift 4.1 uh, toolchain uh, includes, uh, I guess, a complete or nearly complete implementation of uh, conditional conformance that you can uh, now use. So again, Swift 4.1 is not going to be out for a few more months in an official release. But if you are eager to try it out, you can get the latest uh, snapshot and do that. Right. And it's really been amazing to see progress on this in the last few months as this has been uh, implemented. I know Doug Greger has been doing a lot of this work. Yep. I'm sure others as well. Um, I think probably Ben Cohen on the standard library side of things actually adopting the functionality and just getting rid of thousands of lines of code and even more when you consider that a lot of that code is uh, jib code, yep. generate your boilerplate. And so that code in itself was generating <laughs> orders of magnitude more Swift code, right? And all of that was was able to uh, to get deleted out now that conditional conformances are in. Yeah. And so it's been beneficial to the Swift standard library itself as well. Yeah. There's uh, a tweet a while back in some thread from Chris Latner. Uh, someone was talking about Jib. Uh, or Gib, depending on uh, your preference. And Latner's response was that uh, Jib is a bug, not a feature, at least in that specific case, but maybe he also meant that generally too. Um, and I think this is a, an instance where you can see that prior to conditional conformance, you had to have all these extra types to express what we need to express in the standard library. Um, and it involved lots of boilerplate. All these types were very similar, uh, but because conditional formances weren't there, you know, you had you had all this extra code to write, and they did that with the generate your own boilerplate. So now, get rid of all that, add conditional conformances, and uh, uh, reduce the size of the standard library. Yeah, yeah, and not only that, um, you know, a lot of the custom types that were uh that were added in order to express these additional things mm -hmm. um were like handcrafted artisanal uh custom <laughs> types and um and there made were in, case made in cupertino with love <laughs> yeah that's right and uh there were cases where um uh, it, it probably would have made sense to, to continue doing that for other situations and other types, but, uh, it just wasn't done because it wasn't, um, high profile enough or it was just too high friction to do that in every place that it, uh, that it could be done. Like, for example, um, there was a constrained protocol extension on array and optional where the equal equal function was implemented, uh, if its elements conform to equatable, but um, array still didn't conform to equatable 
if its elements were equatable. That's kind of the whole idea behind conditional conformance, which means that other things when it pertained to, to equality and using equality in a generic setting um, didn't transfer over, mm-hmm. right? So like we could have kept writing things like the, well, I think in this specific case, the uh, uh, is not equal function was also implemented. But then um, other things that relied on equality, you know, needed to be stubbed in like at every single level. Mm-hmm. And maybe this could have been done for other types, but it was just too much work and generated so much boilerplate that it just wasn't done. And now we're going to get a lot of this for free. Right. So it's going to be a lot more consistent across the board right. because these don't have to be handcrafted. It's going to come for free, basically. Right. Right. Yeah, I I think a lot of this, in a, a lot of cases, this is kind of hidden away from the user, you know, like this example here of uh, defining equal equal on array. Um, you're not really, you're not defining array as being equatable. You're just defining this function. And so it seems like arrays are equatable with this hack. Uh, but then it breaks down, uh, as he notes in these examples, once you go multiple levels deep. Yep. Um, so if you try to map an array and you get back an array of optionals of whatever, you know, optional type, then all of a sudden you can't do equal equal. You'd have to define, you know, yet another static function to do that. Right. And this is why it's it's pervasive and it has a compounding effect. And to adopt, and this, so this blog post, you should really read it because uh, it really highlights some real-world situations where you can adopt this in your code. And I'm looking forward to doing that myself as well because I think uh, it should probably allow me to delete um, a fair bit of meta code. Uh, the other day, actually, I wanted to write an extension on a type where it was to determine if something could be nil or not. I can't remember the uh, the exact setup now, but I wanted to say where that wrapped value or where this value was expressible by nil literal or whatever the protocol is. Uh, I think that's exactly right. Uh, something like that. And that was like a hack I was going to do to see if this thing could be nil because if it's uh, not optional, right, it wouldn't be expressible by nil literal or uh, whatever that. But why didn't is. you just use the the optional protocol? Uh, I can't remember. There's some constraints with how things were structured, exactly. But anyway, this didn't work because we needed conditional conformances to implement that properly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think a lot of people will be able to simplify uh, their code bases quite a bit with this if you've been using uh, a lot of extensions on types or. Yeah, this is probably where it's going to have the highest impact is when you were conditionally extending protocols or conditionally extending generic types. Yeah. Uh, you'll probably be able to rely on more generic programming uh, by having those conditional types and extensions conform to protocols themselves and then gain everything that that protocol exposes. Yeah, another, uh, just a side note, Swift 4.1 also brings the default equatable and hashable implementations. So we can delete tons of code when Swift 4 comes out, probably. Swift 4.1, yeah, that'll be the theme is uh, delete your code when Swift 4.1 comes out. Yes. Uh, Which is always a great feeling. Um, Thank you, Swift team, for encouraging us and letting us do that uh, in the next version. Yeah, you can see uh, if you 
go snoop around on the Swift repo, you can see uh, Ben Cohen deleting tons of lines from the standard library, which is pretty satisfying. Right. You know, dating back, you know, in November, started seeing uh, some of the pull requests come in. Um, you know, there's one tweet here where just a bunch of uh, jib files get get replaced by pure swift files mm-hmm. and uh you can you can really tell that it's uh it's an amazing feeling for him because one of the things ben says in this november 30th tweet where he's deleting uh jib files is mm-hmm. that uh, jib was hiding just how much code got deleted in that pr uh the jib files alone in this pr where he's removing about 680 lines translates to a reduction of 3350 lines of swift code that's incredible absolutely wow i didn't realize the standard library was that big yeah the standard yeah. library is, is quite large mm-hmm. um yeah i've uh i've run the scripts uh ola begeman has that blog post about how to run the jib scripts or like to actually generate the swift code i've done that to look at a few things it's also quite frustrating actually if you just want to like go to the swift dot or the the main swift repo um and just like browse the source code like let's say you're working and you need you for some reason you want to go reference the implementation of something in the standard library a lot of the time what you end up with is some jib file that you can mostly read, but it would be nice just to have the pure Swift code there so you could see it. Yeah, I mean, are you saying that it's the syntax highlighting that's lacking that makes it hard to read? Yeah, yeah, that and just like, I mean, there's just additional cognitive load there to, you know, to kind of parse out what's happening. Um, it'd just be nice if you could just look at a pure Swift file, right? you know? Well, you so. could you could swap the order of uh, of the extensions on the file. So instead of mm-hmm. um, integers.swift.jib, it'd be integers.jib.swift, and then you'd you'd retain that syntax highlighting, albeit it'd be a little broken. Sure, sure. Um, I don't know if that was considered at any point. So another thing uh, that Ben specifically calls out in this blog post is the slice type, which is a good example where there were a dozen different implementations uh, of slices. And now this can just be replaced with a single slice type with all of these uh, conditional conformances. And that resulted in a 5% reduction in the binary size of the, the standard library. So again, it goes with what you were saying about deleting, what, 3,000 something lines of Swift code and... Right, that um, has an impact on the binary size. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so just this one type resulted in a 5% decrease in binary size. So I'd love to see actually the size of the standard lib in 4.0 and 4.1 uh, when it's finally released. Um, yeah, although uh, there's so much other work that's happening that um, it may very well be a larger binary uh, size. That's true, um, yeah. But we'll we'll see. Uh, hopefully, it it counteracts some of the uh, some of the binary size that that's being added, especially for ABI stability. There are things that that need to uh, be a little less efficient in order to keep it open for the future. Um, and so, I suspect that the binary size is still going to increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, for as far as the uh, standard library binary size is concerned, for Swift five, I think it'll be. Um, larger than Swift 4s. Perhaps uh, not as much as you'd expect given this, but we'll see. 
it'd be cool if it were minimally larger and then it'd be like, look, you have all these new features right. and very minimal binary size impact. Yeah. Although, um, you know, it'll, another thing that'll mitigate the binary size of the standard library, um, and just make it irrelevant for most folks is that with Swift 5, the, exactly. one of the motivations of ABI stability is that Apple can ship Swift with the OS. And so you don't have to bundle it into your app. So even in that sense, if it was 10 times bigger, then all you need is 10 Swift apps on your phone to make it, uh, or more than 10 Swift apps on your phone to make it worthwhile. Right. Um, right. Because then you don't need to copy that in for every app. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but still, it's satisfying to uh, to know that you're decreasing binary size. Absolutely. All right. I think that's uh, all we have for today. Again, conditional conformances are available in the 4.1 toolchain and snapshot, so you can download that and play with it. Uh, and then whenever the final 4.1 release is out, uh, which will hopefully be in the next few months or so, you can upgrade your Xcode and delete half your code, maybe. Who knows? I look forward to doing that myself. Uh, so you can find the show on Twitter, uh, Swift underscore Unwrapped. You can find me at Jesse underscore Squires. You can find me at SimJP. And if you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, we appreciate it. Uh, you can join the conversation and talk about the show uh, with us if you have questions at spectrum.chat slash specfm slash Swift dash Unwrapped. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>